Preparation is work. Now, if you think that you're going to get a job or, or grow a business or, or change who you are or, or grow who you are or you're going to modify uh, the environment in your home or change your home environment and make changes, you're going to have to understand that in order for you to get to where you're going, you're going to have to prepare. There's preparation involved in work. If you want to work and do a good job, you have to prepare to do a good job. If you want to be a good mom, you have to prepare to be a good mom. If you want to be a good dad, you have to prepare to be a good dad. I did not say a perfect mom or a perfect dad. I said a good mom and a good dad. I wanted to clear that up because I know some of you are like, man, I'm not a good mom because I forgot to call my kid in for dinner. I was so hungry. I just sat down and started eating. And two hours later, they came in and wondered where all the food was. So that's not a parent fail. That's called human, and that's okay. Sometimes they need to fend for themselves. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, right? That's not a fail. So don't, don't worry about being a perfect parent. But if you're going to be a good parent, you have to prepare, Right? You study other parents. You study other people. Maybe you study the way you were brought up, or you study the way other people were brought up. Maybe you didn't have a good upbringing, so you look to other people. You have to prepare to do good work. In Mark chapter 4, verse 18 through 22, we find the calling of Peter, where Jesus calls Peter and says, hey, you, out of the boat, let's go. So let's read Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So when Jesus is, is walking by the shore, he's, he's walking next, uh, he's walking on the beach, and he looks out, and he sees Peter and his brother Andrew. And what are they doing? They're working. They're, they're doing what, they've, what they grew up doing. They grew, they grew up. The Bible says that Peter's father was a fisherman. They were doing. They were working hard at, in Peter, in their father's business. They were working difficult. It was their way of making money. They understood it. They probably were being trained by their father so that one day when dad couldn't you know, row the oars anymore or pull the nets up. When dad couldn't do the job anymore, they would be able to step in and take over for dad. They'd be able to step in and go, man, I, I, I'm going to take this business and I'm going to grow it. And we're going to talk a little bit what we know about that fishing business here in a minute. But they had to, Jesus looked for people that were already working. Every single disciple that Jesus called, they were in the middle of their job. They weren't sitting on the couch eating potato chips and binging on Netflix. They were working. They were achieving. They were doing. They were movers and shakers in their business or in their family. They weren't just sitting around. And Jesus says, I want you. 
Jesus knew that he was going to send them one day to change the world and create a movement that would revolutionize human history and bring heaven to earth in a lot of ways. But before he could do that, he had to call them and he had to prepare them. And so the first thing he had to do was say, hey, you need to follow Now, what I see a lot of times is that people have a particular skill set. They might be really good at fixing cars. They can fix a car with their eyes closed. And so they open a mechanic shop, and they start fixing cars, and they start fixing their friends' cars. But it's only a matter of years or months before they have to close up shop because they have no idea how to run a business. They can run a car and get a car going, but they can't run a business. I see people all the time who, with a particular skill set, maybe you're an excellent cook and you went to culinary school, but you have no business acumen, you have no business understanding, you open a restaurant and you don't stay in business, and I don't understand, is my food not good enough? No, your food was probably better than anything for 100 miles around, but because you didn't understand a business and you didn't have the skill set of that, you had the skill set to cook excellent food but no business skill set you can't operate and so in order to work and work well there's preparation that is involved now I know people I met I met with a guy yesterday excellent business analyst and an excellent analyst and and does very well for himself in a fortune 50 company he does amazingly well he understands analytics and numbers, but he works for the Fortune 50 company, not his own company. There's a reason for that. He has a certain skill set, but he doesn't understand another skill set to be able to launch out on his own. So we had that conversation. It's, it's preparation in all the areas that are necessary And here's what I can tell you. You don't come into your calling without preparation. Do do I have anybody that watches professional sports of any kind? Maybe you watch professional racing, right? Or football or basketball, right? Or golf or, or what have you. Nobody says, you know what? I played putt putt on vacation with my kids one time. I think I'll sign up for the PGA Tour. Nobody does that. Why? Well, you guys laugh. You know exactly why. That seems ridiculous, right? One time I went to the school carnival, and I got the magnetic fishing pole, and I threw it over the... See, you all know what I'm talking about right now, right? And, And I got a little toy. I got a little ring that looked like a spider, and so I left it on the floor of my room to scare my mom. <laughs> and so I fished, and I got a... Boy, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go on the professional bass fishing tour because I threw a thing over the curtain at the school carnival. Nobody does that. You have to prepare. You have to build up for that. And so Jesus calls him. He says, "Hey, I'm going to send you, but I need you to follow first. I need you to prepare for where you're going. I need you to be prepared for what I have for you to do." Benson, in his commentary, he writes this: "It is observable. I can't say that word." It is observable that when God has called men to offices of dignity and usefulness among his people or has particularly appeared in their favor, they have generally been engaged in some honest employment. Benson even notes it in his commentary. He says, when 
God typically calls people, they are engaged in honest, hard work. When God is preparing you, he's calling you, he's, he's saying, okay, who's working? Who's got their hand to the plow? I'm looking. He did it when he called Saul. When Israel's griping and complaining, we don't want to be led by judges and priests and prophets. That's not a good way for government. We want a king because the Philistines have a king and Egypt has a king and Syria has a king and they all have a king. I ain't got no king. So I'm going to just take my priests, prophets, and judges and I'm going to go home. That's basically the nation of Israel. That was their attitude. And God says, okay, that wasn't my plan, but I'll give you a king. His name's Saul. Go find him. And what does the Bible say about Saul? Well, the Bible says that Saul was managing his father's farming empire. He was running his father's farming empire. He was running. He was basically the vice president of his father's farm running it. What's the Bible say of David when Samuel went out to find David? David was shepherding sheep. Right? He goes to Jesse and he goes, are these all the sons you've got? Right? Because Samuel goes up and he starts looking at David's brothers and he's like, man, he's tall. He's handsome. And God tells Samuel, stop looking at the outward appearance and look on the inside. Look at their heart. I haven't called any of these guys. And Samuel's like, okay, Jesse, God told me the next king of Israel is here, so are these all your sons? Well, no, I've got this runt, stinky guy out back who's tending with the sheep and probably shearing them, and he smells like sheep, and you really don't want to talk to him because he's gross right now. Go get him. And the Bible says as soon as Samuel saw David approaching, he's like, there's your king. Why? Well, which one, of the, which one of the brothers was working? Which one of the brothers had his hand to the plow and was applying himself and pushing forward and doing a hard day's work and doing what he was supposed to be doing? It was David. And that's the one that God called. What about Gideon? Right? God comes to Gideon. Hey, you need to lead the armies to overthrow the Philistines. And Gideon's like, Nah, I think you got the wrong guy. How many of us, when God comes to us and says, hey, I need you to just go encourage that person and tell them I love them or just give them an extra 20 bucks or pay for their gas? You're like, God, you got the wrong person, God. Not me, right? I don't have time for that. I can't. You surely wouldn't use me like that. Gideon. Quit being Gideon. Because Gideon goes, you got the wrong, you know, um, I think you're looking for the next zip code over. That's not me. God's like, no, I don't make mistakes. I know who I'm calling. Well, you made one. No, I didn't. Right? And so there's this back and forth between God and, or between Gideon and God and, and the angel and, and all of this stuff. And Gideon, what's he doing though? He's at the threshing floor. He's shifting wheat so he can make bread and feed his family. He's working. He's on the threshing floor. I don't care who you pick. When God calls them, they're working, and they're working their tail off. They're engaged. They're involved. Well, here's Peter and Andrew, and now God is in the flesh in the form of Jesus, and he walks up and he says, you guys, ready to inherit your father's fishing empire? I want you. Man, you're 
talk about walking away. I mean, they're going to have a business handed to them. Handed to them. And they walk away. But the command was first to follow and then go. Mark tells us the same story. In Mark chapter 1, verse 20, Mark tells it a little bit like this. And, and I think it sheds a little more light when you consider what Peter and Andrew walked away from. In Mark chapter 1, verse 20, he says, without delay, he, that's Jesus, without delay, Jesus called them. I got news for you. Jesus knows what he wants. And Jesus usually gets it. Right? He wanted your salvation. So what did he do? He went to the cross. He, he went to hell. He kicked Satan's butt. He kicked death's butt. But, and he comes back up out of the grave and goes, now I want you, and I want you, and I want you, and I want you. Don't worry about the problems in life. I've already defeated everything that you would ever face on this earth. Just walk with me, and I'll get you into heaven. He's like, you don't, don't worry about this stuff. I've defeated this life. I'm victorious in this life. Just follow me. Just trust me in whatever it is that you're struggling with. And so without delay, it says that Jesus called them because he knows what he wants. He goes after it, and they left their father Zebedee. Now, this is, now notice what Mark says. Mark says they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. You don't bring on employees unless your business is doing well. You don't have other boats unless your business is doing well. And Peter and Andrew go, okay, we're out, Dad. Now, the Bible doesn't say that they just, you know, took off and ran and, and didn't tell their dad bye. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. It probably would be customary to tell, hey, Dad, I'm going to follow this guy. I'm not going to inherit the business. How would you like to have that conversation with your dad? Ooh. But if I sacrifice the business, I promise you that God... And maybe it's not business. Maybe you have to sacrifice something else. Maybe it's a habit you're going to have to sacrifice. Maybe it's something, a mindset that you're going to have to sacrifice and put away so that you can follow Jesus, right? Here's what I can tell you. Without delay, he called them without hesitation. And he knows the plans he has for you. So I promise you, when you walk away from self-defeating attitude, when you walk away from a self-defeating thought, when you walk away from whatever is bringing you down or holding you back that you think is making you better, but it's really not, when you walk away from that and you begin to follow Jesus, I can promise you this. He's got something far better in store for you than you could ever create on your own. And when you... Begin to act on what God has called you to, you will begin to attract what he has for you. Action creates attraction. Have you ever noticed that people are attracted to people that take action? I mean, you're attracted to people that are out there making things happen. You're attract we are attracted to the movers and the shakers that they inspire us. And we look to them, we're like, man, how's he doing that? I want to figure that out. I want, to, I want to be more like that. I want to understand what they understand. I want to think how they think. We are attracted to action. Action creates attraction. And whatever business you're in or whatever thing that you're doing in your life, you have to take action in that before anybody will ever be attracted to it. Do not expect to say, 
Well, I put a sign on my door. I'm waiting for things to happen. It's not how it works. You have to work for it. You have to be prepared for it. You have to be ready for it. You don't just suddenly go, man, I, I, I was raised in a broke up, beaten home. I, I was, my family was completely dysfunctional, and I'm still kind of very dysfunctional. I've got all this baggage, but I guess what? I'm ready for marriage. Let's go. No, you're not. Stop it. Stop. Because you're going to go through marriage number two and number three and number four and number five. Stop. Clean up the inside. Get yourself right first. Right? Clean that stuff up, and then you'll be ready. You'll be ready. Start taking action. Here's an interesting point. It says that Peter and Andrew left, and maybe they said goodbye to their dad. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But have you ever looked at when Jesus calls people? He gets different responses from different people. In fact, if you looked at the response from the man who whose father was not well, he says, Jesus, I want to follow you, and I'm excited, and I see what you're doing, and it looks good. And Jesus says, all right, well, you know, let's go. You can follow me. He goes, well, I, let me first go bury my father. Now, we, in our culture, we think, we, we would think, oh, he's dead, we need to have a funeral, and then we can have a funeral and we can go. But in that culture, to bury my father means I need to go back, I need to go take care of dad for a while until he passes away. He's not doing so well, he's older, and, and I need to you know, make sure he's okay, so let me go take care of dad until he passes away, and then I'll come follow you. And Jesus is like, no, you follow me now. Ooh. Jesus doesn't play. Have you ever noticed this? Like, Jesus doesn't play with people. What about the rich young ruler? Jesus, man, what you're saying is good. I, I, I love it. I, I, I'm a holy, righteous guy. I mean, I've kept all of the laws, and I've done everything, and, and, I, and I go to the temple every time the temple doors are open, and I'm in the service and sanctuary. What else do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says, go sell all your possessions and follow me. The call, the ability to prepare was there. Jesus called him, but the money, man. Like, I'm making some fat cash. It could just be raining up in here, right? And Jesus like, no, drop it. Jesus didn't say being wealthy was wrong. He was speaking specifically to this man because he knew that this man was controlled by his money, not him controlling the money. Right? If having the money was wrong, then you should have never called Peter. But the money had this man, and the calling was there. He goes, okay, for you to follow me, you're going to have to sell and get rid of all of your money. And the Bible says the man went away sad because the money had him, and he couldn't let go of it. Right? Why, why would he tell the rich young ruler to sell his money or to tell the other gentleman, no, don't go home and take care of your dad. You follow me now. Why would he tell them that? But all he said to Peter was, drop your nets, let's go. Why would he, why would he do that? 
Because Jesus knows the heart of the person he calls. When he calls you, he knows your heart. He knows what's in here. He knows what's going to hold you back. And he knows if you're going to follow, you can't have things in your life or in your heart that are going to prevent you from truly being committed to him. He's like, that's not fly for you. Now, it might be fly for them, and it might be okay for them, but it's not okay for you. So I need you to sell that. I need you to let go of that. I need you to step away from that. Now, there are some things that are sin, and sin is sin, and wrong is wrong. But like the rich young ruler, Jesus is like, you need to let go of your money. But he didn't tell other people to let go of their money. So it just depends on you. It depends on what's going to hold your calling back, what's going to hold you back from where God's calling you. He's going to look into your life and go, hmm, no, we need to fix that. We need to, we need to change that. That's why Jesus challenges us. You see, the call, your calling and what God wants you to do is not the problem. The problem is what holds you back. It's not the calling, because you're called, and you're called, and you're called, and you're called, and you're called. And everybody in this room, and within the sound of my voice, either here today or listening on the church's podcast, everybody is called. The calling is not the problem. The problem is our own mental hang-ups and our own lifestyles and the things that we, well, I need to hang on to this, or I need to keep doing that, or I need to, I, I can't let go of this. The calling is never the problem. It's our hang-ups. It's our way of life. It's our habits. It's our mindsets that become the problem that holds us back from our calling. But here's what I can tell you. When you begin to follow Jesus and begin to overcome the mindsets, the way of living, the thought patterns, the relationships, when you begin to overcome those things and the light of Jesus begins to shine in your heart because you're hurtling over hurdles down the racetrack of life, you begin to appreciate things differently. You begin to see things differently. You begin to understand things differently. Appreciation is greater when the blessings are scarce. You appreciate your blessings more when they're scarce than when you've got them every day all the time. Because let me ask you something. How many of you, when you took a shower this morning, thought twice about whether or not water would come out when you turned the, turned the knob? How many of you grabbed that knob and went, oh, water! Wait. It's hot! Praise God! Thank you, God, for hot water coming out of this spigot. How many of you went through that? This, how many of you actually did that this morning? I'm serious. If anybody did that, like, seriously, raise your hand. Because I didn't. You got me beat. You beat the preacher. Let me give you another example. Maternity leave. Don't mess with my benefits, Pastor. I'm not messing with your benefits. But honestly, maternity leave. When in the history of mankind have you ever heard of maternity leave? For dads, too. Are you serious? Do you know how many other people around the world that thought of a husband being able to stay home with his wife and his brand new baby for a few days, that would blow their mind? I can take you to countries right now where the thought of dad even being able to stay home and not go out and earn a living so that his son hopefully won't go to bed hungry. Do you realize that the vast majority of the world goes to bed hungry? 
We are the minority. Statistics tell us that living in the United States makes you just living within the borders. You're in the top 25% in the world. Whether you're homeless, living in a shelter, or you've got a house on every continent, simply living within the borders of the United States puts you in the top 25% in the world. Eternity means? Are you kidding me? Think about that for a minute. It's a blessing. To get a day off, to go to Tennessee, to get a day off, to go to Florida, that's unheard of. Think through the eons of mankind in history. When was that ever a possibility? We are blessed far more than we realize. Go tell the person in Nigeria or in Haiti or maybe in Colombia, hey, I've got 15 days of PTO. I'm just going to take off and spend time with my family while I have a vacation. They, they can't grasp that, and yet we're like, I need more time. I need more. I need No, what we need to do is be better stewards and better managers of our blessings because we are so blessed, we don't even realize how blessed we are. We take it for granted. Ouch. Y'all got quiet on me. You all right? Hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to take off work early so I can go enjoy my son's ball game. Oh, and then I don't have to worry about my son going to bed hungry tonight. That's not a problem either. They don't get to do that in most places. Dad doesn't get to go to the ball game because he knows if he's not at work making money or earning some food, his kid's going to bed hungry tonight, so he just misses whatever his son is doing or his daughter is doing. You see, the less you have, when you get it, you appreciate it more. So let me... Talk to the parents just for a minute. Kids, you can put your fingers in your ears and, and tune me out. Just don't be rude. But listen, we want to provide for our kids and give them the stuff we never had, right? And then we wonder why they don't value what we value because we're trying to make their life easier. And then, then we wonder why they don't value. You don't have the values. You don't understand what hard work is. Well, guess what? You've been providing it for them. Don't yell at them. Can I put it another way? Can I put it in Bible language? I'll probably put it in Bible language. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 12, in Bible lingo, the more they were afflicted, the more they grew. It didn't say the more blessed they were, the more they grew. It said the more they were afflicted, the more they grew. Bible language. Now, I'm not saying you're supposed to make it hard on your kids, and, and I'm not saying that your kids should be raised in the slums, but what I am saying, don't expect your kids to have the same value as you if you keep making it easy for them all the time. Because that nice big house that you live in right now that you didn't have growing up and you wanted to provide that for them, don't expect them to respect that. Because that's norm for them. They want the next best thing. It's parenting one-on-one. We grow in affliction so that when I get blessed, I respect it more. I respect my blessings more when I don't have nearly as many of them. So I am way out left field and way off my notes, but let's go back. Appreciation is greater when the blessings are scarce. When the blessings are scarce. You know, in, ec in economics, there's this thing called the scarcity principle. In economics, 
the scarcity principle simply says this. It says that the less, the less an item exists, in other words, the more scarce it is, the price goes up. And then depending on the demand, if there's even a greater demand, as the demand goes up, the price goes up. And if it's scarce, it's going to skyrocket. If the demand is low, but it's still scarce, the price is still going to be high because there's not that many of them on the market. It doesn't, it doesn't quite, there isn't that much of it. And so economics simply says the less of it there is, the higher the price. Right? That's just simple economics. The true is with the blessings in our life. The more we get blessed, blessings aren't that scarce. We just don't, they're not that important to us. It's just, it's the way we're wired. But, but somebody that is preparing themselves and somebody that's working hard and, and, and er, trying to earn that income and, and working their tail off and they get the reward, they get that paycheck, they get that, then they begin to understand, they begin to appreciate things more. It's funny how when we go to the store, my boys, and mostly when they were little, they wanted everything in the store. But the day that I said, well, you got your own money, well, suddenly they didn't, well, something changed. Something happened. But that happens in our spiritual lives as well. Right? That happens in our spiritual lives as well. Jesus called the people that were working and that were engaged and were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Jesus called them. He says, I want the people that are working, that are preparing, because one day I'm going to send you out and I'm going to have you prepared and ready to go into your calling. And I don't know about you, but I would rather Jesus come and catch me when he returns. I would rather him catch me preparing for what he's called me to do than say, waiting and go, well, I'm waiting for the day that Jesus calls me. I know one day, look, in the real world, I'm not holding out for management. In the spiritual world, I ain't holding out for management. I'm getting my foot in the door, and I'm going to begin to read. I'm going to begin to pray. I'm going to begin to do the things that God asked me to do so that when God decides to spiritually promote me or move me forward or better my marriage, that I've worked my tail off and I understand the value of the work, whether it's spiritually or it's naturally or it's in my family. I understand the value of work. So, I want to leave you with this story. How many of you know who Billy Graham is? Everybody, most people know who Billy Graham is. Okay. There's a story of Billy Graham and Ruth. And they were, they were driving through the hills of North Carolina where they live. And the roads were being worked on. There was construction on the highway in North Carolina. And, you know, just real quick, I think road crews have a very difficult job here where it's flat. I can't imagine being a road crew up in a mountain somewhere with a highway going through the mountain. I just throw that in. That was cool. But so hats off to you guys that are working road crews in the hills. Hats off to the guys, road crews working where it's flat too, right? But man, so they're, they're going, there's road construction in the hills of North Carolina. Well, it takes like a long time time but by a long time I mean like they're in the construction for over an hour 
over an hour. And they get to the end of the construction. In closing, they get to the end of the construction. And there's this sign. There's this bright orange sign. And it says, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. Well, Ruth looks over at Billy and she goes, that's really deep. And he's like, typical husband. Right? Billy Graham was an amazing man of God, but at the end of the day, he was still a man. Right? And a husband. And he looked at his wife, Ruth, and he goes, what? Like, what are you talking about? She goes, under construction, thank you for your patience. That would be amazing to put as an epitaph on Ruthie. Because we're all, Billy, we're still, we're all under construction in this road of life. And we're on construction until we get to the end of it. God's working on us. Well, when Ruth passed away, and Billy was ordering her tombstone, to this day, her tombstone reads, End of construction, thank you for your patience. Work, prepare, because God's calling you got a purpose for you. God's got a plan. But we're all under construction. We want you all to be working. Let's stand up. And I'm going to do things a little differently this morning. I'm not going to ask the band to come up. But I want us to, right now, I want everybody just to close your eyes. And I want you to think about I want you to think about where is God calling you to? Where's God calling you to? It's okay if you don't know that this morning, but my next question is this. How are you preparing? How are you working towards that? What steps are you taking to get there? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer, and if you're here this morning, and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never gave your life to Jesus and said, I want to give you my life, God, forgive me of my sins, I want to follow you, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everybody to re- repeat this prayer after me, and if you meant that with all your heart, I want to talk to you, Just, I'll be out at the doors as you leave and I want to I talk with you about that and what that means and walk with you as you grow towards Jesus so just repeat after me Heavenly Father thank you for making me thank you for loving me thank you for dying on the cross thank you for coming back from the grave I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I accept you into my life. And I want to walk into your calling for me.
In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant that, I want you to come see me afterwards outside. You guys have an amazing week. We love you. We'll see you next week.